Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. All right, what's up? It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. No, this is not Sorallo Sports Talk, the national radio show. This is Sorallo Sports Talk, the podcast. First time since early March I've delivered a podcast that wasn't my national radio show. Taking a little time off, taking the month off from our partnership with SportsMap Radio. We will probably, hopefully be back in time for football season. But until then, you get me uncensored, unfiltered, raw, Real and what a perfect time to be that way because holy shit, what a trade deadline! What a trade deadline in the MLB. In fact, this is not going to be a normal episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. I'm actually tossing this over really shortly to a roundtable discussion that I did live yesterday on Believe's YouTube page with Casey Stern, of course, the terrific MLB insider and the host of Unfiltered with Casey Stern on our network. And my buddy, my Believe colleague, Nick Kreider. He, of course, makes up one-third of the tremendous trio that is the Charity Stripe. And he's also, similarly to how I co-host Believe in Queens with Anthony Recker and Tyler Ward, our Mets podcast at Believe, Nick is also the co-host of Ring the Bell with Heath Bell, our San Diego Padres podcast over at Believe. And what more of an appropriate crossover than Casey and I, two Mets guys, with Nick, a huge Padres guy, considering the Padres just up and away won the deadline. So we're going to toss it over to that. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo, right here on this special edition of Sorallo Sports Talk. Here's yesterday's roundtable. All right, we are live with the Believe Network. Nick Kreider here of the Charity Stripe and Ring the Bell Pod Talk with Heath Bell. We got Joe Sorallo of Sorallo Sports Talk and Casey Stern of Unfiltered. Big baseball week. MLB trade deadline just happened. We're going to start with the obvious, the biggest trade that happened. My San Diego Padres acquiring Juan Soto and Josh Bell, among other trades that happened. I want to get quick reactions from everybody really quickly on the haul that the Nationals got. I'll just read off really quickly the prospect package. They got James Wood, Robert Hassel, CJ Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Harlan Suanza and of course Luke Voigt goes in the trade because Eric Hosmer declined to go to the Nationals. I re- feel really bad for that. We'll, we'll get into that as well. But uh, Casey, let's start with you, man. What are your uh, what's your gut check reaction here on this trade? Obviously, it's a big haul for the Nationals. Was it enough? But he, he traded like a whole hockey team, pretty much. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> how many guys you have that are in the deal. Look, I think it, it's the biggest deal we've ever seen in a deadline. Most of the times when you get big deadline deals in the past, you think about Scherzer a year ago, Verlander 2017, Cliff Lee twice, CC Sabathia, a lot of them are rentals and or taking on a bad contract, and none of them are position players, and certainly not at this age. So you knew it would be a bigger haul. It, time will tell whether or not, it, you know, the Herschel Walker size deal and is it better than that one was and all of that. But I here the two takeaways. One, San Diego pushing the pedal, and I love that, and I think it's fantastic for their fan base. Two, and this will get lost. Mike Rizzo did an amazing job 
When you're a GM and you get stuck with, he doesn't want to get rid of Soto. He's got to basically clean up the spilled milk from the the learners in that owner situation. And in 17 days, which felt like 17 years for all of us, right, in all that mix, with Scott Boris putting stuff out public and all that, for him to get this kind of haul to rope in the Dodgers, which I think was totally on purpose to scare A.J. Preller after what happened with Max Scherzer last year, we will never say enough, in my opinion, about how brilliantly Mike Rizzo did in this deal, even though clearly for all of us loving the game and for you with that hat on, it's about the Padres. Let's not forget Mike Rizzo did a great job here. Great well, it's job. about both teams, I think. I mean, it's a huge haul. I mean, they it, they had a lot of balls to go out and trade Juan Soto. And of course, there was a chance that he could resign depending on who the ownership was, but they're risking a lot there. So I, I agree, did a great job. And also from the optics perspective as well, you know, him sitting next to the GM of the Cardinals mid-game, you know, having some laughs. People are trying to figure out what's going on there. And of course, you're mentioning the Dodgers. We were having deja vu of the Max Scherzer, Trey Turner trade. And I was I was literally nervous the entire time when all these reports were coming out. And the only person that I trust to break the news is Jeff Passan. And when Jeff tweeted it out, we were good to go. You know, it's funny, Casey, because you're, you know, praising Rizzo for the trade. And there was actually a piece of the trade that left me kind of wondering, could Mike have gotten more? And that's the Josh Bell piece to the trade. Because from where I'm standing, it looked like Soto could have commanded the exact same package that the Nationals got from San Diego by himself. So I was actually kind of left wondering, could Josh Bell have pulled in another prospect or maybe two top 15 prospects from another team? if Rizzo sent Bell elsewhere, if he didn't package him together with Soto. I mean, it was a great haul. Don't get me wrong. For San Diego, though, I think you're giving that haul up 10 times out of 10, not thinking twice about it. But I actually, you know, instead of thinking that Rizzo did a phenomenal job, I'm actually curious if he put Bell in a separate package, if he could have even gotten more. What do you think? Do you think that Soto alone could have gotten the same package that he uh, that him and Bell brought in yesterday? I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but I don't think he had another Bell suitor. It's all about who the chairs are. And like, look at the Mancini deal, right? Obviously smaller and not as good and not a switch hitter. Sorry, Orioles fans, if you're listening, right? But, but the Astros get him off the board. You know, Crone wasn't moving. There weren't other like guys in that first base slash DH category. The team that would have been the best fit would have been the Mets. And the Nationals, you know, look, they wouldn't have traded in the division. I've been saying this as the analogy forever with this for years. That's like when you say to somebody in your relationship with, I have no time for us. That's not true. I don't love you enough to make time. If the Nationals had gotten from the Mets all their prospects, they don't care, right? Yeah. But the Mets weren't willing to do enough to make the Nationals give them a Josh Bell even in division. So they're off the board. Who are the teams that were going to be able – because I agree with you. I think in principle it makes sense. I think the problem was they didn't have enough Josh Bell suitors because there just weren't teams who had that kind of need who were going to delve into their prospect well to go get Josh Bell. I think that became the problem for them. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's fair. I, I think that the Astros were probably the top Bell suitor, and then, of course, they came off the board with Mancini. And outside yep. of them in the Mets, I don't know how many teams were that in on Josh Bell past those two. Nick, how do you feel about what you guys gave up? I mean, you know, Casey's the one who always says parades are a lot cooler than prospects. But all right, first of all, so first of all, let's say let's say the trademark correctly. Come on, man. I mean, we we get we're gonna <laughs> sell, I gotta I gotta I gotta feed kids, bro. We're gonna sell t-shirts. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I mean, the Padres for so long have been prospect huggers. That's really what it is. And if you look at all the prospects that have turned into major league players, hasn't necessarily worked out. We had Austin Hedges, of course, Hunter Renfro. 
all these guys, I mean, there's there's so many more that you can list that really didn't become superstars or didn't become even average everyday players. Um, so gone are the days where I'm trying to hold on to my top prospects because Juan Soto is a proven generational talent, a superstar who's won a World Series, won a batting title, won the home run derby in LA, which I mean, that's just the icing on the cake. Um, but yeah, the, the, you, there's not, there's nothing I wouldn't have given up for Juan Soto. I mean, he, he is someone that this trade never arises, right? Like this is something that only happens once in a million years. So yeah, I, I think I would have given up even more if we had to. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Shifting gears a little bit, but staying with the Padres. What are your thoughts on the Josh Hader deal? Because you guys, in my opinion, gave up a little too much for haters. So as the yeah. Pods fan, I want your thoughts first. And then Casey, as the expert, we'll get to you. We we talked about, oh, I'm not an expert over here. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not an expert. The only thing I'm an expert at is is telling Met fans what they should do with themselves when they when they give me all this crap on Twitter. Other than that, no expert. But, but <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, look, right now, I'm just, I'm just a fan. Go ahead. But if you're a Padre fan, and does your face hurt? Is what I want to know from smiling the last. Oh yeah, hours. my but face ahead. hurt. My yeah. face hurts, and my and my my thumb hurts a lot from from refreshing on Twitter every two seconds. People say like they refresh on Twitter like every ten minutes, every five minutes. I was literally every two seconds refreshing on Twitter yeah. to see what was coming out. Last, uh, but, last but, five days were bad. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but back to Josh Hader. Yes, I I was texting you earlier, Joe, and I believe that we did did give up a lot because we gave up. MLB players, we gave up prospects, um, and it was kind of a weird, wonky closer for closer. Taylor Rogers had been struggling so much the past month. Um, he kind of lost his closing role because he blew too many saves. Um, but Josh Hader is the best closer in the game. I mean, it's it's really not even close in my opinion. Yes, he had a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know <laughs> what? He had a couple of bad addings. But if you look at what happened, he was tipping pitches. That was something that he corrected. He also had some things going on in his family. I think his wife had some uh, pregnancy issues. So, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't related to baseball that, you know, may have affected his his two outings that kind of were blowups. Um, but it's Josh Hader. You know, I mean, it, those we lost so many games this season from blown saves and blown leads. And if you want to go out and protect those leads, you got to go out and get the best guy. So I'm all for it. AJ is literally just going all in he's pushing his chips in and i got a text message the other day from a yankees fan a good friend of mine but you know Yan we all know yankees fans are outrageous and he was telling me he was like why why are the padres choosing now to go all in when the dodgers and the mets are so good i'm like well when are we ever going to go in if it's not now right the dodgers are always going to be able to, to afford players they're, they're never not going to be good within the next 10 20 years so if Juan Soto is available, you got to go all in. And we knew that he was available, and that's why the hater trade kind of popped up as well. But it was out of the blue, but I'm I'm all for it. I mean, he was he was lights out yesterday. You well, see, no, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Casey. I was just going to say, that's the entitlement of Yankee fans right there. They expect things to be handed to them. So Yankee oh, yeah. fans, in their mind, it's like, hey, we have a good team. So, you know, therefore, every other team in the American League should just bow down, give us Andrew Benatendi for our worst prospects, and just help us win a World Series because we're in the race. That's the entitlement's just off the charts, Casey. I'm sorry. Back to you, man. No, don't be sorry. My whole family are Yankee fans except for me. And and I just remind them that, you know, it's nice to see their sixth inning guy rolled as Chapman and yeah. just tell them, to, <laughs> tell them to pipe down. Uh, now, I will tell you, and I want to respond to the deal. I will say, and, and this is this really isn't a homer thing, because if anything, I'm too hard on this team. If you're talking about this year, you 
you can make a claim, I think, with Hayter. You can make a claim with a certain guy in Cleveland. And you can make a claim with New York. Those are the three that are in their own category and closers. This is not the kind of year you can guarantee or say any, any of them or definitely. Because, by the way, the strikeout rate right now from Edwin Diaz, if you haven't checked, it's the highest in the history of baseball. I mean, literally no one has ever on this earth that has walked the planet ever had a strikeout rate in a season the way he's putting it up now. Now that I said that, he's going to walk six tonight and give up a three. <laughs> yeah, way to jinx him. But, of course, right. Uh, I, I want to say this and take the other side because I love the hater deal, but but I – I don't know why I'm like, you know, I feel like uh, and Tom Petty, late Tom Petty with the Even the Losers song. Like I, I mentioned Rizzo. David Stearns, leave off the asset, uh, last S for savings because we're kind of like you know, family members, I guess. Um, when you have Devin Williams, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And they're really smart with this kind of stuff. They don't have the money. Like they really don't. And he, the ownership's not going to give him rope to go and do the kind of things you want. That's why in the past, the deadlines, Drew Pomerantz, who, by the way, I don't think gave up a run when they got him. Trey Lyles, Jordan Lyles, all of a sudden, Trey Lyles, geez, all of a sudden was, was brilliant for them. They have to make those kind of moves. So to see when they get a call on Hater, and rather than say no way, that, hey, look, maybe we get three guys, and even if two pop, right, that's another spot we could fill up without having to pay money. Nobody else has Devin Williams. Look, at times we mentioned relievers. Is it unfair to say he's clearly a top five reliever in the sport for I don't even know how many years running he's unhittable. They don't. They have a guy like that they could just shift in there and obviously box further and others. So I just think the Brewers' depth that they built and the way they do deals like this and are not afraid to. We look on the outside and say, "Thank God I don't root for a team that's that way." But are you going to be surprised if all three guys pan out for the Brewers? That's just how they are. They're really good with moves like this in the past. Yeah, and I thought it was a great deal. You know, for me, Casey, it's like you look at the top three relievers in the National League, and Nick, you might disagree. But I think Edwin Diaz is by far the best. And then I think Devin Williams and and Ryan Helsley round out the top three. I mean, right now, Josh Hader, to me, is not a top three reliever in the league. He wasn't even the best reliever on his own team. So Williams is exactly why they were able to make this move. Because Rodgers isn't going to be the closer in Milwaukee. He's going to be a situational guy, maybe eighth inning, maybe lefties. But Devin Williams has been lights out. I also really like Lamette. I mean, obviously things haven't totally panned out. And Nick, I'm sure you've watched him, you know, blow too many games. It's like 2020, this guy, I know it was that short season, fourth in the National League Cy Young voting from 2019 to 2020. He had a 12 and a half K per nine rate. And then you throw in Gasser, a top 10 prospect, and Ruiz, the outfielder. It's it's a hell of a haul for a relief pitcher. It really is. And Lamette, you're, you're right, Casey. It was a it was an injury issue. You know, the Tommy John was big. They waited a long time to even do the Tommy John. They, they rushed him to play a couple of times. Um, his spin rate was coming back. So that was something that we were really excited about. But it's a big risk. You know, I mean, rolling him out there and seeing if you want to stretch him out and become um, you know, a starter again, or if you want to make him a long reliever, or if you want to put him, you know, in late innings, it, it's kind of up to whatever organization, you know, takes him on. So um, he's a risk, but you know, at the same time, he's, he's got good stuff. Gasser was definitely hard to lose. And Ruiz was tearing the cover off the ball in the minors and then got brought up and had some pretty good games. But um, like, again, like I said, we can't be prospect huggers here. And just to your point, yes, haters had a down year, but, over the past couple of years, you, we can't argue that he has been the best. So no, he, um, he's been great. Yeah. I, I just don't think now. Look, and his postseason I would, record too. I would say he's lights out the postseason. Somebody in this room did the by far, and I, I don't think, and I don't blame you because you know, hey, but I don't think we could do that with it. My point being that the way it looks now, the other thing I would say that I think is important to to watch with Hater, the two years we've seen him in a postseason where he had to be a factor, he was exhausted. 
the one year where Canable came back too late, and Justin Turner at the Game 7 home run, the year that Machado was there, and the Brewers had him 3-2, Hader was awful because they had too many times where even the Brewers who count down outs, right, had to – how do you not? I, I mean, I got to go to this guy for six outs. I got to go – even if you start doing that in September, you're in trouble. So I think watching the way that Bomel handles him is really important because you've got to at least look back to the past because of the max effort in which he handles himself and everything he does and the way he throws, you got to make sure to keep – and Diaz the same thing, by the way, with the Mets. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the Kenley Jansen scenario where I'm watching a guy who's been brilliant be worn out in an eighth inning of a, of a six-out save opportunity in October. And I think with Dom Mattingly, specifically with the Dodgers, we saw that almost every time we saw Jansen in a postseason. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And, you know, we're talking about Diaz. You got the hat on. Why don't we shift over to the Mets? They obviously didn't have the, the big splash at the deadline that the Padres had. Uh, Casey – you know, put your fan cap on. Well, you actually already did that. How, how are you feeling about the deadline? Darren Ruff was the, the J.D. Martinez that we were expecting. Michael Gibbons was the David Robertson we were expecting. What, what were your initial thoughts to that? It, it, wasn't a, it was not a great deadline, but mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. You know, people need to, to – it's hard to be rational as a Mets fan when you had Fred Wilpon owning and Art Howe as the manager. That's fine. But, like, you ha- you're 28 games now, 27, sorry, over 500. You- we can't hit, right? And before the All-Star break, oh, then they started hitting. Well, we got to beat the Yankees. You beat them twice. Even the game where Torres comes in against Peterson, you find a way, right, to win that. You had won seven in a row. Scherzer, I don't think he's going to be healthy again. Came back, was brilliant. DeGrom looked good when he came back. Bolobach, go back. I tweeted, said he'd be a fan favorite. Fans are like, who the hell's he? Just a fat <laughs> dude. He's been on base, like, every game, right? So you got to be rational. It wasn't a good deadline. You needed a left-handed reliever. I like Gibbons. And I think Gibbons and Ottavino and the guys they have, even Trevor May, if he's healthy, they're all seventh inning guys. That's the problem I have. You're mm-hmm. missing that one guy who you feel like, I don't need Edwin Diaz to do this for four, more than three outs in September and October. Now, let's be fair. If everyone's healthy, Tyler Miguel's an interesting guy in a bullpen because he's got a two-pitch mix, especially if you let him air it out. Think of Tommy Hunter. I was watching him in a game one pitching for the Rangers when they got lit up by the Giants. A couple of years later, the Orioles and Bucks said, hey, why don't you try the pen? And he's throwing 98. Because imagine McGill and how hard he already throws if he's only in there for three. Four- now, maybe that turns into something. It could be. You might need to use a Scherzer or DeGrom later in a series and do things like that. It puts more pressure on Buck Showalter. I think the rough thing to me, you go back to the Giants when they won those World Series. They were always Marco Scudero, Cody Ross, Javier Lopez, the reliever. Really good teams don't need to add a lot. No right. offense to the Padres at all, but you'd admit the Mets were a better team before yesterday than the Padres. We'll see now. But they were a better team clearly than the Padres before the day started. That's why the Padres needed to make those moves. The Mets, the Dodgers didn't do anything. So I think we need to be rational. The Mets are in a good spot, but it wasn't a good deadline. They needed a lefty reliever and didn't get one. Well, as I recall as well, you guys did add Jacob deGrom at the deadline. Yeah, so. he's pretty good. He's pretty good. And he looked good. But by the way, 102 uh, wasn't bad to see in his second AB right there. Oh, boy. Wild, wild. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed he only went five innings because in his last I, – I know that they value up-downs a lot, and for him five up-downs was the plan, but he threw 67 pitches in his last rehab start, only 59 last night. Bubble wrap. Put him in bubble wrap. I don't care. I need him yeah. in October. You want to yeah. face him in Scherzer in game – don't, I mean, even ask Mr. Padre here all the way to at least the way on my screen on the left. You want to face? <laughs> I don't care who the hell you're throwing. You want to face Scherzer in game one, DeGrom in game two in a five-game series? Nobody wants to see that. Nobody. 
Yeah, yeah it's no, I, I, I don't. Mr. Padre, and I'm sure the, the real Mr. Padre, Tony Gwynn, would also agree with no, me. No, no. Uh, you don't want to face the, those guys at all. Uh, but you bring up Vogelbach, and I really think that Vogelbach is going to be a guy that is going to be a postseason sweetheart. He's going to be He's going to be the G-man Choi of, uh, of the other years. Uh, just like a fun guy to watch. I mean, just ridiculously built, too. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yes. he's, he's insane. He should be playing D-tackle for the Jets in the offseason. The guy's so much fun to watch. They now, might need Casey, him. Yeah, right? You brought up a great point about Tyler McGill. Because in addition to Serralo Sports Talk, I also co-host our Believe in Queens show with Anthony Recker. And Recker and I, we seem to work it into the conversation, especially with the deadline coming up the past few episodes. It's like every episode, we are salivating over the thought of Tyler McGill coming out of the bullpen. And we saw it, you know, in one playoff appearance from Syndergaard in 2015 out of the bullpen, and he's thrown 102. And we really both believe that Tyler McGill has that capability. Now, look, what scares me here is that the Mets are relying on a lot of what-ifs for their bullpen, right? It's what if Trevor May comes back and looks like peak Trevor May? What if Seth Lugo continues to ride the hot streak and look like, you know, he did against the Yankees for the remainder of the year, right? So it's a lot needs to go right. Tyler McGill's unproven out of the bullpen. That's what scares me a little bit. But the what if surrounding Tyler McGill is what if he ends up being our next best reliever behind Edwin Diaz? Because his stuff alone really shows that potential. So I'm definitely banking on him playing a huge role out of the pen. Yeah, I, I think, look, they, they need to, even more so than the hater situation we brought up before, Buck's got to be really, really careful with, with Edwin because he's been so dominant, right, that the idea that, like, there's no guarantees, but let's take a short series just to start with. If I got Scherzer or DeGrom starting and I got Edwin Diaz, you don't have much of a chance unless you get me early and get up. I mean, if I hand it to Diaz after seven innings, you're in trouble. Late in the series, I got the other guy. But you can't do it with Diaz every day. You're going to have to pick your spots. And you can't do it in September if you want to do it in October. Because I think they're going to need Diaz to have some of those five, six-out outings. Because he's so lights out. But you can't do that against the Braves trying to win a division like next weekend, right? In this big five. You cannot do that, especially with those doubleheaders. they got to be careful. Because the thing with Diaz is he's, like every closer, they're so big with confidence. He's so confident right now. He's coming out to the trumpets and owning it. But we saw a guy who was almost hitting everybody with pitches because he was so lacking confidence a couple of years ago. That doesn't take long. That's two home runs in two consecutive games against the Braves, and all of a sudden you're in second place. He may go off the reservation. they got to be really careful not to overuse Diaz because, to your point, they're going to need to lean on him heavily come October. Yeah, and, and Nick, looking at your Padres, by the way, I think what not, a lot, not enough people are talking about is that the moves that your Padres just made made the NL East race that much more important because yeah. no one, I, I don't care how good the Mets pitching is. I don't care how good the Braves pitching is, how good the lineups are. No one wants to be in potentially, unless San Diego gets hot and wins the division, that four or five matchup with San Diego in the first round. So the Padres making all those moves just put a lot of pressure on the Mets and the Braves, especially the Mets to hold on to that division lead. But there were a lot of other moves around the national league. I want to focus on a team that to me is a clear uh, favorite for that sixth seed now. Nick, what do you think of what the Philadelphia Phillies did yesterday? I definitely like what they did with Syndergaard. I think that's that was kind of a no-brainer for them to go out and get him. I know that there's talks that he could be going to Toronto, but um, I think, you know, Philly needs to be able to contend with what with, with the Mets have, you know, in terms of the pitching. So um, I like the move there a lot. Um, you know, I, it sucks that Bryce Harper is not, 
playing right now and hopefully they get him back in the postseason. But, you know, there are some guys that are holding down the fort there. So, um, you know, in terms of just not making huge moves, I think they're going to be okay because look, Schwarber has been tearing the cover off the ball as well. I mean, he's what he has got over 30 home runs right now. That's someone that I could use on the Padres. I mean, we went and got Brandon Drury, but you know, 20 home runs isn't 30 home runs. So um, I like what I saw though. And in Cincinnati, which means it's about 10 everywhere else, including the stadium of your team. Exactly. So, right, so let's, let's be, let's be fair, right? Yep. He's going to be a nice move, but his versatility is what makes it interesting. And Definitely. He'll be a, he, but he's like, I feel like a soccer, he's a, he's a useful player. Yeah, he's, he's like, like a Ben's like Is the way, we, hey, by the way, uh, the Royals are still thankful they rented that guy you just mentioned won a World yep. Series, so, right? So yep. uh, look, here's the thing with the Phillies. First of all, the fact that Syndergaard and Wheeler are in the same rotation, and could have some kind of matchup at City Field where we could see those two at some point in a regular season, even remaining against. I, I mean, you sign me up for that. Like, I think it's it's crazy drama. Syndergaard is really good when he's motivated. You go back to the stupidity with Wilson Ramos years ago. I said they should have traded him because in the seven starts after that, go back his ERA was like I point zero zero something going into the deadline because he was pissed off. And I think for him, after all the Met stuff, and you see like his snarkiness on Twitter. And you bring him in now to something where he feels like he can go screw the Mets and play in those matchups. I, I, I expect him to pitch really well. So I think it's a valuable thing I do. The question for me with the Phillies is, they, we're talking about bullpens. Their bullpen doesn't matter. They could change. They've got 140 different names in the last few years. And they all seem to fail. Remember, they had the year where they were going to have, uh, you know, Dominguez was at his height. And Naris was, was moving forward. They had Pat Neshek. They brought in Robertson the first time. They had all these guys. And Gabe Kapler... I mean, doesn't have a job there for a lot of reasons. One of them is everybody throughout there stunk. So I, I still don't trust the Phillies late in games, and I think that their bullpen will come to bite them as usual in some of these spots down the stretch. Yeah, just let our old friend Juris Familia go, by the way. Uh, the Robertson deal, yeah, it's going to be interesting because you have to wonder, the guy's been lights out in Chicago, but new you know, change of scenery with Chicago and also no pressure with Chicago. So now he's back in Philly, and forget the pressure of a playoff race, double down the pressure of a guy who failed his last time around in Philadelphia. That's going to be interesting. I think the Brandon Marsh deal is really underrated. I personally, I mean, I've been to a few Angels games since moving out here. And this is a guy who he's got clear holes in his swing. He's got a long swing and it's easy if you're bringing heat to get up and in on him. But if he shortens that up a bit, he's got great power. He's got five tool potential, great glove, fast as hell. I think the Brandon Marsh deal it almost gives me like Jason Worth flashbacks of a guy who can uh, potentially, and obviously it's because of the beard, but a guy who could do some damage. Um, Nick, what did you think about Marsh? Obviously, you know, we've got a closer look being in SoCal on him than, than most. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. He's great. And uh, I mean, obviously the angels, the headlines were going to trade Otani, but it's like they only traded one of their guys and their, uh, their bats. But yeah, I mean, he definitely adds some versatility there and holds it down while, you know, they're missing Harper. Like I mentioned, um, and I looked as we were talking about Syndergaard playing against the Mets. Uh, looks and they get to play them one more time this this year. So unless it's the plus, but um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that series there. Um, but yeah, Marsh is going to be a great addition. Less strikeouts than Jason Worth, I believe, because Jason Worth used to lead the league in strikeouts here. But um, it's a good upgrade. Yeah, hey, you know, on, like, oh. I was going to say Jason Worth. Also, like to me, I always think of Edge from the WWE. I mean that's. <laughs> Like that, that's yep. like, the, you think the, you know me, right? I mean, right. Exactly. Great <laughs> tune, by the way. Go ahead. I just remember with Jason Worth, there was a Met game I went to, I think he was with the nationals at the time and back-to-back pitches. I was there for batting practice because growing up before I started working for them, my dad worked for them. And so I would always get there at like two o'clock for a seven o'clock game. 
and I'm watching BP. I'm in left field and worth two pitches in a row right at me. Same exact spot, back-to-back pitches. That's uh, the only fond memory I think I have of Jason Worth. But we're coming up on the final five of the show. A lot of other moves around the league I want to get to. Let's talk Whit Merrifield. Because, Casey, I mean, you had a great clip on social earlier today. You look at the two guys Kansas City dealt. And Benatendi going to the Yankees in the AL East who are going to play Toronto. And now Merrifield going to Toronto. Two guys that did not play against the Blue Jays because they're unvaccinated when Kansas City played Toronto. <laughs> I mean, let's call it what it is. Is Whit Merrifield like the, the MLB's biggest asshole right now? Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. And, and, and I mean, this is not lip service. This isn't politics. And I don't care if somebody doesn't believe in the vaccinations or not. Mm-hmm. It's not about I don't think they're a big deal. If you get a chance to be a big league player and that's what you got to do to do it, and all I got to do is have a shot in a dumb's lollipop, right, or a blow pop, you just do it. You just do – you don't yeah. – and if you're, if you're not going to do it and tell me it's your principle, like I just – it's like a religion for me. I don't take shots. Then you can't say, when I get to a better team, I'll do it. Like, what a jackass. And to <laughs> me, you're the, you're the leader of the team. Was it any surprise? There are 10 dudes who are in there that didn't want to go. When, I mean, it's really him and Salvi who are kind of the leaders in, in terms of voices in the room. He's half the reason some of those kids don't want to do it because of his influence. <laughs> so, to me, like, sending him to Toronto was – it was almost, like, for me, enjoyable. Like, they sent him to, like, you know, vaccination prison. Like, he's getting forced to go there. But notice how quick it was. Toronto not making that deal if they don't know that he's going to do it. So, to me, he just comes off as fake. Just- yeah. And, and look, it, it sucks because he's been such a staple for the Kansas City fan base for such a long time. And to kind of go out that way, it blows for sure. But I'm with you, man. I mean, it's it's a silly situation. Uh, they should have been vaccinated from the get-go. If you're getting paid millions of dollars to play a game, then just do what it takes. Seriously. Yeah, it's not about, like, do you believe in it? It's about, really, should I do this for a few million? Yeah, maybe I should. Or how about for your teammates? You think you should yeah. do it for them? My gosh. That, that, that's the biggest thing to me is doing it for the teammates. I mean, you're going to send up a roster of 15 major leaguers or 16 major leaguers and then 10 AAA guys and just bail on your team. It's I, I don't like it. You know, we saw it with the Phillies recently. They left a lot of guys back and it came back to bite them when they went to Toronto. Now, thankfully for them and for their fan base, they've kind of righted the ship since and they went on a hot streak, beat Atlanta in some big games. But, you know, if if the season kind of spiraled out of control after that you can point to that and say well they just got embarrassed because they were sending triple a guys to toronto it's it's a bad look from a teammate perspective to me let's talk about the yankees andrew benatendi the other royal who was unvaccinated dealt to the yankees they made some good moves they got benny they got montas i think they surprised a lot of people with the montgomery bader. deal yep. yeah harrison bader the bronxville new york native what are your guys thoughts on what the yankees did at the deadline was it the best move uh, or best deadline for any american league team yeah, I noticed how you said American League team because I think somebody over here would have been like, and you're right. I mean, it's the Padres and everybody. I'll just say quickly, Brian Cashman did a good job. He's got a thankless job. He's Phil Jackson with Michael Jordan or with Kobe and Shaq. It's like you get all the Yankees' money, so nobody's going to give him credit. But they were in on Castillo. They just lost out. They were in that two spot behind Seattle who got him. And it's not that easy to just call the next team and get the next guy, right? And so you got to give him credit for doing that. And I like the Trevino ad kind of in that mix too. Um, I thought, you know, getting a controllable pitcher in who's 28, but a rookie who gives you a certain different dynamic than almost Darren O'Day kind of piece in your bullpen and F. Ross and what they did. I think Brian Cashman did a really good job over the past week and a half, big time. 
Yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, look, there's not a ton that they really had to do, in my opinion, just because it's the Yankees. I mean, they're they're a 70 win ball club, and they've got probably the MVP who's gonna maybe hit 70 home runs. I hope. I mean, I think that'd be awesome to see. Me too. Uh, but he's gonna hit 60, in my opinion. But 70 would be amazing. It's, it's gonna be hard. But yeah, they didn't have to do a ton. You know, I mean, they they got they retooled a little bit. You know, they got the guys that are gonna make the difference. You know, in those big at bats or you know giving guys days off. Um, I really like what they did. I mean, Benintendi, of course, is is the biggest move of all the trades, in my opinion, just because. But like that happened so early, it's not really a trade deadline anymore, you know. Um, but they're still scary. I mean, I for me, that's my favorite to to go and and take the AL. Are they going to win the World Series? I don't know, but they're they're scary. I will disagree with you on that one. I think that the Astros, for me at least, are the best team in the American League because I think when you're dealing with short series at the end of the day, it comes down to pitching. Same yeah. reason I'm so Verlander. high on the Mets. And it's Verlander, Valdez. I mean, you know, they just dealt one of their starters because they were working with a six-man rotation, so they had the flexibility to get rid of Rizzi and help fortify that bullpen, which has been a little shaky as of late. But, I mean, yeah, the Yankees, you know, what they did, give them credit, they addressed all of their needs, which – you know, some people can argue the Mets not uh, the Mets necessarily didn't do because we don't have a lefty reliever. And even though we got Darren Ruff to be a righty DH, you know, we didn't get that big bopper for the middle of the lineup. So the Yankees had needs and they went out and got them. They have an all or nothing lineup. They got Ben Attendee, who's the left-handed DJ LeMay, Hugh, 320 contact gap to gap hitter. You know, they don't have starting pitching. That That's a sure thing. Garrett Cole, right now the game's going on against the Mariners and it's Cole versus Castillo. It's 6-1 Mariners in the sixth inning. Castillo just had a great strike out of Donaldson right there to get out of a jam. So, you know, Montes was a need. They lost out on Castillo, who's making him pay at the moment. But yep. still, they got the next best guy. So I'll give him credit. And they held on to their top prospects. Before we, before we close this out, I do want to ask you guys, what the hell are the Red Sox doing? Because in my opinion, they should have traded Bogarts. They should have traded J.D. Martinez. They shouldn't have traded for Tommy Pham. I don't understand what that was about. And of course, Eric Osmond, I mean, that helped out the Padres, but like, what are they really doing over there? Don't forget well, Luis McGuire, by the way. I'll say this. And ironically, the Hosmer thing is the easiest to understand because they're not paying him. Right. And because when you think of him as a left-handed hitter in that park with pesky pole, he, he, he may be okay. And you don't, look, he's got to hit the getting, ball in the air first. <laughs> look, the, the protection, but, but the production they've been getting out of first base is so bad Awful. that he's an upgrade over anything that they had. And the other thing is, if you're going to go the other direction and, and roll out a lot of young players over the years, you're not giving him a clubhouse that he's got to battle with Manny Machado or somebody else. It's going to be easier for him to be able to feel that cut, the Kansas City kind of a thing and know how to help those kids. And I think it'll be a better match for him. So that was the easiest. The JD Martinez thing to me, is is the most ridiculous i think you can make a case if they retool in the offseason and they've got money that okay xander i don't got to get rid of but what the heck do you need jd martinez for and you're asking for a team's top five prospect for jd martinez you're out of your mind like that was where they really made a mistake they overvalued what they tried to give up they have no pitching how are you going to get pitching you got to make trades to get pitching you know, nobody's running to go pitch at Fenway Park this offseason as a free agent. So to me, that, the Hosmer thing, at least for them, it's free, right? So it made sense. Yeah. The J.D. Martinez thing, I can't understand. And I like J.D., but, like, for the Mets, and I'm, I'm a little bitter. Like, you're asking me for – what, are you, crazy? You're asking for, like, a top-four prospect for J.D. Martinez? you got to be nuts. No way. Come on. Yeah, I thought that Dom Smith and, like, a mid-level prospect yeah. pitcher would have been yes. more than enough. Because, I mean, prior yes. to Hosmer, they had nothing at first base. Yes. Yeah. So not that Dom Smith is great, but it, it was <laughs> no. at least he can catch the ball. And, like, Bobby yes. Dalbeck, you know? I mean, yes. so, yeah, the Sox, who knows what the hell they're doing, right? I think, and this is a great point that 
you know, your co-host with the charity stripe and of course diehard Sox fan Josh Fisher brought up to me earlier this morning, signing Trevor's story was a huge mistake because you've got this glaring hole, uh, starting pitching, bullpen help. I mean, they're, they're pitching staff one to 13. It's a mess right now. And you throw all that money on Trevor's story when you've already got some great bats in your lineup. Why didn't you address pitching? Uh, it's, it's, Anthony, you know. it's Anthony Rendon with the Angels when they lost that on Garrett Cole. And yeah. when they lost that Garrett Cole and I was there at the winter meetings, they felt that pressure. First of all, you're going to give him eight years, but you won't give nine. Like at that point, that's stupid in itself. Like I get, I don't want to give more than five, but if you're willing to give eight, you can't then say I won't give nine and lose him to the Yankees. That was terrible. But they gave the money, turned around to, to I love Tony Two Bags, even though he's hurt. But you got Mike Trout and show you, you don't need – you couldn't win with the hitting you had. You couldn't pitch. People are still looking for Jared Weaver and Aaron Seeley for crying out loud. Same, <laughs> same kind of mistake. You turn around – when Baltimore gave Chris Davis $170 million. Oh, my God. And anybody knows anyone can hit home runs in that park. It's Coors Field East. Nobody could pitch. But instead of getting pitching, they gave Chris Davis, who basically had no one else bidding for $170 million, to your point – it's not about just getting a name. you got to get somebody that fits. So the Met fan is hoping to wrap up that side of it, that, okay, we didn't get any name, but maybe in rough and company we got the fits because every other name was off the board. The Padres got the ball already. There's nobody yeah. left. <laughs> On that note, Nick, any final remarks before we wrap it up? Um, final remarks, man, it's going to be really exciting to see Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Tatis play together. I know Tatis and Soto have known each other since they were 15 years old, so that's going to be something really special to see. But it's going to be really fun to see how it all unfolds within these next couple of months. I mean, I'm really excited to see the West Coast be good, but also the East Coast be good. You know, New York meets L.A. and San Diego. I think that's going to be something that uh, will really help baseball grow, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, guys, to this MLB trade deadline roundtable. I'm Joe Serralo from Serralo Sports Talk and Believe in Queens. That guy, I hope I'm pointing the right way, is Nick Kreider from the Charity Stripe and Ring the Bell, our San Diego Padres podcast. And in the Mets calf, that's Casey Stern, our lead MLB insider and the host of Unfiltered with Casey Stern. Man, that was fun. That was a good time. I always love having Casey on. I mean, the guy, look, uh, the fact that we had him fall into our laps at Believe is amazing because this is a guy who, of course, you know, has been on Turner, NBA on TNT, MLB on TBS. Uh, there are very few MLB insiders as tapped in as Casey, and he is probably the most underrated out there. And then, of course, love my guy, Nick. He's on cloud nine right now with the Padres. Look, as we wind things down, as I get ready for my final word here, I want to focus this week's final word on a legend, on Vin Scully, who passed away a couple nights ago at the age of 94. I mean, Vin Scully, you know, people talk about living life to the fullest. This guy did it all. This guy lived life with a smile on his face and put a smile on the face of every single person he encountered. The Vin Scully stories I've heard over the past two days have been just absolutely incredible. They, they make you smile. They make you tear up while you're reading them. You know, I've met a lot of people. I've been really fortunate to meet a lot of great people in this industry. And he's one that I always wanted to meet that I never got to. And I wish I had my own Vin Scully story. But in a way I do, because when I think about Vin Scully's career, a guy who spent the last or spent 67 years with the Dodgers as the voice of the Dodgers, spanning back to their later years in Brooklyn. That is special to me because this is a guy who made an impact on my life as a sports media professional, 
as a baseball fan more so, you know, just as a kid for all those years, you know, appreciating, watching his greatness in absolute awe. And for him to have an impact on my life and also have an impact on my grandparents' lives. You know, I come from a family that, of course, we're diehard Met fans, but my family would be diehard Brooklyn Dodger fans had they never left. Like many Met fans, my family origin, if you will, yes, we're Italian, that's our origin on one end, the other end, the baseball end of our identity, we were Brooklyn Dodger fans. And knowing that my grandparents, who before they loved the Mets, loved the Brooklyn Dodgers, also loved Vin Scully 60, 65 years ago. I mean, that to me is such a cool feeling, especially because out of my three grandfathers, two biological, one step, two of them are no longer with us. And so to look back and think of how two of my grandfathers got to appreciate Scully, got to listen to Scully, got to cheer for the team Scully was working for and broadcasting for. And then in my life, you know, some 60 years, some six decades later that I got to watch Scully and appreciate Scully and just look at him, watch him do his thing in absolute awe of a man who could dance the fine line of television and radio that so many have tried to do and so many have failed at doing. I mean, you know, to, to be able to lay off the necessary amount for a TV broadcast and carry the conversation, the necessary amount for a radio broadcast, to do it by yourself, to be such an eloquent storyteller, there was no one like Vin Scully. And the last thing I'll say is I thought it was funny because as I was watching uh, a game earlier today, it was the Mariners-Yankees game, I was watching the Mariners broadcast, they flashed a graphic for the three most notable calls of Vin Scully's career. And it was Don Larson's perfect game, World Series 1956. It was Hank Aaron's 715th home run. And it was Kirk Gibson's 1988 World Series walk-off home run. And I'm looking at that list and I'm like, whoa, something's missing. The freaking 1986 Mets. Vin Scully was on the call for Mookie Wilson, the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs. Rest in peace, Bill Buckner as well. Scully was on the call for that. And, you know, this is a subjective list. It didn't make the Mariners broadcast top three. And at first, I'm not going to lie, I was pissed. And then I went, well, you know, look, I think in the grand scheme of things, the 86 Mets, Mookie going through Buckner's legs, I think that that was more notable for most people than Kirk Gibson's walk-off homer. But for Scully to call that, not only in the World Series, but in the World Series of the team that he had worked for at that point for already three decades, I mean, that, that had to be absolutely unreal for Scully. Because not only was it an incredible World Series moment, it was an incredible Dodgers moment. And there's no more incredible Dodger on or off the field than Vin Scully. You think the history of the Dodgers, the most impactful Dodger legends, you think Jackie Robinson, you think Sandy Koufax, you think Vin Scully in the same breath as the guys who were on the field. Rest in peace to an absolute legend. Vin, you were amazing. And just like that, this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. It was fun being back on the pod. Not, you know, having the collared up national radio show vibe. It was, uh, it was nice. It was relaxing. Guys, hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.